Hey folks, welcome back to Intelligent Living. Thanks for joining the podcast, where we have discussions about all things relating to life. You know, through science, we've learned so much about life and how to live it well, so why is it that we tend to live so foolish? Well, it's time to use that science so that we can live life with some intelligence. We can live longer, happier, more purposeful and productive lives for ourselves and for others. And this is called Intelligent Living. So here we're going to learn, laugh, live, last, and love. Thanks for joining the conversation. Says, according to Yelp, permanent closures have reached 97,966 businesses. 60% of the closed businesses that will never reopen again. And then I read this other article, and it was about a restaurant, a Hungarian restaurant. And I, I'm going to read like three little stories, and I thought this is why people make it and why some people never make it. Because the ability to adapt and change one's course, the, the word you know, literally means to adapt, it means to, <clears throat> uh, the ability to alter one's change, uh, to alter oneself to a changed circumstance. And I would say one of the most important things as a believer is to have the ability to be flexible and to adapt if you're gonna be successful in the kingdom of God, your journey with God. If you are inflexible and you are not able to adapt, you will die. Just like businesses die. Listen to this one, though. Three different businesses did this kind of the same thing. They probably inspired each other. This Hungarian restaurant started serving dinner on their Ferris wheel. It was a, it was a theme park that had a large Ferris wheel. And the owner thought, what can I do to survive this? He saw all the businesses going out. He said, well, I know what I'll do. I will serve a four-course meal, and it's going to be a luxury four-course meal, and each person will be in their cart, so they'll be separated socially. It's going to be safe. And so he did that, and he charged $154 per person, and it was an absolute success. You go to the theme park, you see, what are the folks doing? They're munching. And people loved it. Another company, two different companies in Japan did the same thing. Same, same type of thing. They begin to serve food on their Ferris wheels. Uh, uh, both of these were theme parks. And they said another one had a nice theme. Uh, their Ferris wheel were separated compartments. It was perfect for food because it's completely separate. You, there's no social, you don't have to worry about anyone getting sick. Put a family in each cart and they serve food. It was, again, a success. And then this last one was another Japanese company. Same thing. Ferris wheel. I'll just go buy a Ferris wheel. But anyway, a Ferris wheel, they begin to do the same thing, but instead of serving food, they give you the opportunity to work from work from Ferris wheel. Call it, they called it a work vacation. A work and vacation put together a work vacation. That's what they called it. It was once again, it was successful. Ninety-three thousand businesses in America across America, actually more now, went out of business because of their inability to adapt. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm sure some couldn't adapt. But our ability to adapt as a church, as a people, as a person that's living for God, to me, it makes all the difference in the world. I talked about Elijah and the sermon before three weeks ago. uh, The last three weeks, we had different guys preaching. I just want to see if you're adaptable. Some of you came. I thought you were preaching, Pastor. I thought I was too. Trust me. But I wasn't. And so I just want to see if you're adaptable testing your hearts but anyway I talked about fast forward was a sermon 
and about God taking a man by the name of Elijah, a prophet, and sending him to a place called Cherith. I'm going to continue that thought a little bit and, and we'll change it up a little bit. So you follow with me. It's called The Power of Adaptability <clears throat> is the name of the sermon. So again, the definition of adaptability is pretty simple. It's the ability to alter oneself to the changed circumstances. And I, life is filled with ups and downs, highs and lows, greatest highs, great lows, and your ability to go with that will determine whether or not you, you keep living for God. You talk to someone that's not in church anymore, and often they will point to a moment in time where they thought it was going to be this way, and it became that way. And they say, I didn't know it was going, this was going to happen, but it happened. And it's a low. It's a reality of life. I thought I would have nothing but yeses in God. The Bible says about Jesus that all the promises are yes, but you've got a lot of no's. You know, you don't realize, I'm getting off track, but this is for somebody. You don't realize that when you pray and you want certain things and, you, and you're asking God, I, this is what I want to see happen. And, and you, maybe you might get three no's in a row. And you look at it like God didn't give me what I wanted. No, but he gave you, and you've heard me say it. It's not just a nice little phrase, but it's true. He gave you not what you wanted. He gave you what you needed. Because that no may drive you to God. You know, I, people text me and how God answers prayer. I appreciate all those texts. We thank God for that. But oftentimes when they get a no, it's for some people it's like the world ended. Pastor, they, they, they said, no, this didn't happen. I thought that was going to happen. It didn't happen, Pastor. What's going on? Did you pray, Pastor? Put it all on me. Come on. I ain't your Savior. I'm just a man like you. Come on. Yeah, I prayed, and obviously it didn't work. It didn't work the way we wanted. It didn't happen the way we thought it should, and you got to know. But maybe that no would drive you to God, and that's a good no. So here's Elijah. First Kings chapter 17 again. And the word of the Lord came to him. says, depart from here. Turn eastward and hide by book Cherith. The brook will supply you there with water to drink. And I've commanded the ravens to bring you food there. Elijah obeyed. And the Lord went. Obeyed the Lord and he went to live near Cherith. And the ravens brought him bread and meat twice a day and he drank from the water from that chair point one we must be adaptable to be successful in the will of god it's one thing to say to be adaptable just to be adaptable but trust me i'm talking about in the will of god as time goes on things happen there's ups and there's downs and if you're going to be successful along this journey you've got to learn how to be adaptable or like the businesses you go out of business spiritually because you, you can't adapt. You're not making the changes that God wants you to make. And so here are stories of Elijah. It's pretty simple. But God orders Elijah to go to Cherith after he preaches to the king. He's in one moment, he's in a very high place. And the next moment, he's in a very low place. And I said what the word Cherith means. It means to cut. It means to cut down to size. And so God sends him to this difficult place. And I'm sure he was disappointed. I'm sure he wanted, and we know this, he wanted revival in the nation. That's what his heart was. That's what he wanted to see happen. And God says, Elijah, now's not the time. I'm glad you preached, but now you're going to go hide for a while. And you're not just going to hide. You're going to hide at a place called Cherith. And in that place called Cherith, I'm going to cut you. 
and I'm going to cut you down to size. There's things that need to be cut out of your life. How many sang that song a moment ago called, I Want More of You? Most of you sang that. Have you already forgot? Raise your hand. You sang it, right? I want more of you. You know what that means? Some stuff of you has got to be cut away. In fact, some of you would look at your brother and neighbor and say, a lot needs to be cut away from you, bro. And when we find ourselves at that place, I've been there, you've been there, you might be there this morning. You want to be any place but that place. When you're in that cutting place, you want to be any place but that place. But Elijah has the ability to be adaptable. That's what's amazing about this prophet. God sends him down there. The Bible says, and so he went and he obeyed. He's going to this place where he's going to be cut and cut down. The word also has the idea from cutting down trees. When they cut down a tree, it would fall. Now, I'm not a lumber man. I mean, I've never done lumber stuff. Tim's that guy. But they say, I guess when they cut big trees, we've all heard this. They say timber, right? Because the tree's falling. Tim, back, is the sound guy? Timber, <laughs> get it? No, okay. Pastor's falling. That's what the word means. It means it's something is, is falling. And so it can be a picture of our life. It's falling, pastor. It's not doing, it's falling. Pastor's falling. Tim is falling. Estevan is falling. Yeah, that's right. God's doing something in our hearts and our life. It's called soul work. So God's putting them in this place. And yes, it hurts, it's painful, and actually it seems like it's a total loss when it's actually a gain. It's different, you know, I know it's different. It's different when we know it's a gain, but it is so hard when we're in that place and we know it's not. We feel like it's, it's a waste of time, not just a waste of time, it's, it's too painful to bear. And he goes from a place of honor to dishonor. He goes from a place of being totally used by God and now he's out of sight. Used by God powerfully, he has everything, he has his health, he has everything. And from one moment to the next, God says, you're going to go from being seen to unseen. And Pastor Dodd <clears throat> preached for us last Sunday. I, love, I like Pastor Dodd a lot. He's a great preacher. I told him he preaches better than his pastor. He says, don't tell my pastor that. You get me in trouble. I said, I speak the truth. I don't compromise. But I, I love Pastor Dodd, and he said to me right after church, he said to me, all right, hey, we hop in the car, we're driving to the restaurant, someplace I've never eaten before called Zapatos, because <clears throat> I knew it was open. And people say, you must love that place. No, it's more convenient, and I'm adaptable. Everyone loves Mexican food, and he does too, you can tell. Anyway, he, uh, he says, man, Kerry, I already remember, I hop in the car, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm cool with it in this sense because I know we haven't talked to him. I haven't talked to him in a long time. But I personally, I have a hard time. When I'm, first time I see a pastor I haven't seen in a long time, and right away they go back to 40 years ago. I mean, you know, time's gone on. He hops in the car and says, hey, Kerry, I, I, I still remember you coming preaching at my, my church I was going to in Las Vegas, and that was 1987. I still remember you, man. You had a thin shirt on, you had a thin tie on, and you had a leather jacket, and, man, you were exciting. That's all I remember. It's, I don't remember a thing you said. And I said, neither do I. It's like 35, I don't know how many years. That's a long time. I said, yeah, so bro, I want you to come to revival for me. I want you to come to do this. And I said, stop, stop. 
I said, I appreciate that, brother. I don't remember what I said either. I said, but since then and now, things have changed in my life. I said, I'm not probably doing you no revival. I'll make your announcements. I'll preach one service, maybe two. That's it. Well, it's not that serious. I said, what is that serious? And so I understand what it's like to be used, go places and do things, travel the world, do going nowhere, but here. It's okay. I love this church better than any other church in Marina Valley. This is my favorite church. But Elijah goes to a place of honor, to dishonor, from being seen to not being seen, from being heard to not being heard, from a loud voice to a whisper. That's not easy. And I, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what you're facing, and I, I don't know what you are going through. But when you go from what we call success to it seems like a failure to us, and I would say naturally we think when that happens that God has forgotten you. When he puts you in the place of isolation. Let me tell you what's wicked about isolation. People don't say this, but it needs to be said. Isolation is wicked. It's wicked and it's evil. Think about it. When a man goes to prison, in our prison systems, in America, as we're civil, and we, and we have, there's, you know, we care about the human being, not like other places and countries where the prisons, they don't really care about you. If you don't, no one brings you food, you don't eat. Not here, you get three quarters and you can even get your ESPN plus, whatever. I don't know, prisons. But, but they find the most difficult thing they could do to a human being, the most hard, hardest judgment they could bring against somebody is put in what they call solitary confinement. Solitary confinement, they believe that is the worst torture you can give a human being. During COVID, there are a lot of young people that took their life because they were put in solitary confinement. And in that place, there's things that happen here that never happen any other time. You can be in a place of solitary confinement and have people all around you. Doesn't mean physically in a place that no one's, no. You can be in that place and feel like you're in your world all alone by yourself, fighting everything by yourself. You can be right there and it is torture and you think that God has forgotten you. It's not an easy place to be. In fact, I put down here in my notes, I think it's one of the hardest lessons for us to learn over and over again. Because I think it's, it's, we know it's against our nature to be alone. That's bad enough. But to be alone and feel like things are being cut out of your life or cut into your life or trials and on top of the trials and when you have all that going on it, it, it's so so hard and, and and to go from the mountaintop to the valley overnight that's this is very it's not easy I don't care who you are to deal with this and so I was reading a story actually I saw the story let me just say this first why it's so hard is because we we have if we're honest we all have an ego Right? Our ego says, I want to be seen, I want to be heard, I want to be successful. It's our, basically, it means our self self-importance. It's where we get our self-esteem. We want to 
you know, people know who I am and whatever. But our, our ego, you can tell our ego is front and center. We want to be heard first. We, we think we're always right. You show me some of the things that are always right, always got to be talking, always dominate the conversation. So I show you someone who's full of themselves. And we all have an ego. Don't think you don't have an ego. So he's in this place, and we, we don't like this. We, we, we like to keep it about us. And when it's not about us and God's doing a deep soul work in us, the focus is off, is off, you know, all you and glory of you to we're going to do some soul work in you. Now it's a whole different ballgame. The guy who started Netflix, he made this statement I thought was powerful. His name was Mark Randolph. He was a, him and a guy by the name of Reed Hastings. They started Netflix together. Haven't you heard of Netflix? Some of you tithed in Netflix. Yeah, you pay tithes to Netflix. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You pay tithes to Netflix and don't pay tithes to your church. That's a good one, huh? I hope you're watching me out there. Don't shut me off. Don't walk away. This ain't commercial time. But he says, let me tell you what happened. He says a brutal, it was the most brutal moment in his entire life, and most businesses are lost at this moment in juncture. Listen to what happened. Reed Hastings was brilliant, very sharp. Both of them are very educated, but Reed was sharper than the two. Reed was his partner. His Reed watched how it all happened. It all kind of all happened by accident. You know the story of Netflix. Just like Tesla, people think Elon Musk started Tesla. Tesla was started by someone else, started Tesla completely. He took it over and basically, well, anyway. So here's the point. <clears throat> Reed, his partner, notices him. He knows what he can do. His, his buddy there, Mark Randolph, he said, Mark, I'm concerned about you. You know, you're limited in what you can do. What do you mean? Well, I know we're partners, but I don't, think you're, I don't think you're the guy to take this thing. That you started, but you can't continue leading it. You don't have the ability to lead it. Well, who does? Me. And he said at that moment, he felt just... It was my and your idea. It was us. It was us. Uh, now you're telling me I, I don't have the bill. I can't do it. And he said at that moment he realized, the more he thought about it, he thought, you know what? He's right. And he said, had he not said he's right, there'd be no Netflix today. He said, because he took the realm. He took the helm. I became secondary. He became first. He called all the big shots. I called the second shots. He said, but our company today, I ended up selling, I think he sold his part for, like, I don't know, something cheap, like $2 billion or something. He said, it, most businesses at that moment, businesses are destroyed because the egos clash. He said, at that moment, I realized he's right. I'm not what I think I am. He's right about who I am, what I can and cannot do. Okay, I'll step down. I'll go to Cherith. And he did. This is my question. And here's what he says. What we must remember and we forget when we are lost. That knows who we are and what we are and what we are becoming. Here's my question. Do you possess adaptability? Webster defines it as being pliant, yielding to influence, capable of responding to change or new situations correctly? Do you possess flexibility? The business, 
Dictionary defines adaptability as the ability to alter oneself, the ability to learn from experience. It's the total opposite, obviously, of being flexible or being adaptable with being rigid. You know, I went to, <clears throat> you know, one thing I am, I'm at least a little bit flexible. I'm not going to show you how flexible. But I am a little bit flexible. But I, I, I have bad coordination, like really bad, I think because of my condition. I, I flunked a drunk man's test. You're laughing. I flunked the drunk man's test. The problem is I ain't drunk. I don't drink. I can't, I can't do the walk straight in a straight line. So if you ask me, Pastor, are you walking straight? I'll say no. I, 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 don't, have, I don't have the ability to do that. And the doctor says, well, it's just, it's just the way it is. So I, I, have, uh, I have flexibility, but does it mean I have, uh, I have flexibility, I mean, but it doesn't, I don't have no, um, what's the term, what is it? What is it? Coordination. Yeah, I just, just don't have that. I mean, I get the rhythm of a two-by-four, okay? But it's important to have flexibility and adaptability. It's actually very, very healthy if you, you have that. Being rigid simply means stiff or unyielding, not pliant or flexible. And the reason why I started pre preaching this message, because I, you, if we would think about Jesus for a moment, and I begin to really think about Jesus in living life and with his disciples and with the crowds and with the people, this principle of adaptability would be there all along, and they better learn how to be people that can adapt. They must, be learn, they must learn how to be flexible. They cannot be rigid. If you, if you are too rigid, you will miss God in your own life. I'll give you examples. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. It's talked about in Luke. It's talked about in Mark. It's talked about in John. And Jesus tells his disciples, there's 5,000. And he tells basically the disciples, you want you guys to feed them. The disciples tell Jesus, Jesus, all we have is like five fish and two loaves. I mean, two loaves, two fish, five, five loaves and two fish. That's all we have. And then Jesus says, all right, command everyone to sit down. So let's, can we stop there? Think about it. You got 5,000, okay, and all we have, I'm, I'm going to read it, so don't you, don't you keep telling me. <laughs> telling me my own sermon. Get into my ego. <laughs> we only have five loaves and two fish. And then he tells them, well, you tell everyone to go and sit down. Now, if you were there, I would think, Lord, you, you're crazy. Oh, okay, everybody sit down, sit down. We're going to feed you. Yeah, we're going to feed all of you. Bless God. How? I don't know. I have no idea. He says five loads, two fit can do it. You, you know what? You think about it. That, it's insane. It'd be crazy. Okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Five. That's sure. That's, a, that's normally enough to feed 5,000. No problem at all. Let's just do it. And if they would have said, you know what, Jesus, we think you've been out in the desert too long with these people. You, you, you're starting to crack. You've got some mental fatigue wearing. It happens on everyone. It happened to me. It happened to all of us. You just need to take a little rest. And we'll get back to this later on. You naturally think that this, why would you do it like this? Why would you even say that? But the reality was it's exactly what God said. And it's exactly what God commanded them to do. And God did exactly what he said he would do. He fed all of them with almost nothing. And if you would have been there and the disciples said, you guys sit down now, we get ready to feed you. You say, 
What do you got, Peter? He's got a few things. I'm out of here. I ain't, I ain't falling for that. You can't get nothing to feed me. You think I'm dumb? Take my family going home. And so we miss God. We look at the resource of God and say, that's not, that's not, that's not going to take care of me. How's that going to take care of me? <laughs> Honey, let's go. I want to stay. No, let's go, I said. IRS. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want to know if it's okay to pay taxes. We should pay taxes or not. Jesus said, well, I don't want to give anyone an opportunity to offend or, or say something we don't do anything right. So here's what you do, Peter. I want you to go down the lake, throw out a fishing line, catch a fish, open the fish's mouth, and in the fish's mouth be the coin to pay your tax and mine to the IRS. That's normal, right? That's perfectly normal. That's how we pay our taxes. That's what everyone does. Just go down the lake and fish and grab open the fish and just coin inside the fish's mouth and we'll pay everybody's tax. That's, that's just perfectly normal. Yeah, let's do it. The insanity of the suggestion, the insanity of the whole thing. See how, but somehow, some way, for some reason, Peter, he hears that and, and he says, okay, I'm going to do this. It makes no sense at all, but it's not just anyone telling me to do this. It's Jesus. And I've seen Jesus and you've seen Jesus do all kinds of things. And I don't understand. I only begin to try to understand Jesus, how you can do this, but you told me to go do this, and it sounds wild. I mean, it sounds like you're taking a trip, dude, but okay. And he went, and he threw the line, caught a fish, opened the fish's mouth, and there was a coin, just like Jesus said. What if you would have said there's no way, and he would have he said, God, you can't work like that. I'm, not, I'm adaptable, but that's, that's, that's out there, okay? He would have missed God's visitation for him. He would have not had his needs met. Think about it. A blind man comes to Jesus. A blind man can't see what Jesus is doing. Right? The Bible says he spits on the ground, makes some mud, and puts it in his eyes. You're the blind man. Hey, uh, I can't see what he's doing. What, what, what's Jesus doing? Well, he's making some, he's spitting in some mud. Oh, okay. What's that for? Your eyes, bro. What? Yeah, stay still. Don't move. Bam. But what's he doing? Putting mud on my eyes. I said I wanted to see. I don't want my life to get darker. This ain't red light. What are you doing? What's going on? And then he tells the man who's blind, he's got mud in his eye, you go watch the pool of Siloam, and you're going to see. See, how... Mud, slum, sea, and vision, none of it makes sense, but unless you're adaptable, he would have missed, if he would have said, you know what, take the mud out, sorry, I, I know it's a new mass from God at a spa, Jesus' spa, he started a new spa, I got his mud, mud from divine clay, uh, mask, uh, take it off, I'm done, uh, I'll stay the way I am, and then he would have stayed the way he, am. he is, so here's my point in all of this. Each time there was a resource of God available to you and to me. And because if we look at it and think there's no way this could meet the need. I think many times we miss them. 
He just said, no, take out the mud. Just take out the mud. I'm going home, man. I thought he would kill me, but I didn't think he'd put mud in my eyes. And I've preached it before. Sometimes your word gets darker before it becomes lighter. Moses, God's people are dying for water. I don't know if you know this. I don't think any of us have ever been dying for water. Marcus Luttrell, his movie Lone Survivor. I challenge you to go watch it. Edit that out of the tape. But I challenge you to watch that movie Lone Survivor. It was a lot worse in the real life than it was even in the movie, he said. But he says there's a point he says himself that he was so, basically all his buddies had been killed. And he said he was thirsty. I think he broke almost, he broke a lot of bones, his face, his eyes, his friends. What happened to his friends, he can't even speak about it. But it's terrible. But here he is broken, battered, broken legs, broken head, broken, you name it. Shoulders out of place from falling off the cliffs and different things. And he said, I was so thirsty. See, he said this. He said, people don't realize what thirst does to a human being. He said, I was in a place of being so thirsty, I would kill you for water. He said, I drank my own urine. There's no water. I drank my own blood. Here is Moses with the people of God. They're complaining there's no water. We read it like, oh, what's the big deal? No water. I don't think any of us have been very long without water. The situation is a lot worse than it seems like when we read it. They had no water and they're dying for There's something They say something happens here in human personality when you deprive someone of water. They begin, like Marcus said, I would, I, if, I, if I would have saw someone that had some water, I would have killed them without even thinking about it in one second. He said, you get that thirsty, you lose your mind. And the people of God come to Moses and we have no water. And God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to go hit this rock. Oh, that's normal. Just hit a rock. Because water's going to gush out of the rock. Because, yeah, water's going to gush out. How do you think Moses felt? I, 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 if he had a huge ego, he'd say, you know what? I, I've done a lot of things, Lord. I'm not doing the rock one. The rock hit and the rock, I mean, come on. I look like a total fool to everyone. But what does he do? He hits the rock, and what happens? Water comes out. If Moses was not adaptable, and ability, how you like that English? Abila had the ability to adapt. He would have not seen that miracle. And I'm not sure, I'm not, I don't know, this is just conjuncture, that if he had not done that, maybe the people wouldn't have seen it either. Maybe God just would raise up someone else to take Moses' place to, to take care of the people. I don't know. But I know one thing, he does, he does this, but it sounds so, it just, unless you're adaptable, he would have missed God and missed the hand of God and missed the resources of God in his life. So here, here is Elijah. God's cutting him down to size. It's uncomfortable. Matthew 21 talks about Jesus and and whoever falls on this stone will be broken talking about Christ but whomever it falls it's going to be ground to powder another version says it like this if the stone falls on anyone 
You've crushed the person. So it's a choice of what we're going to do with Christ. It's really what it's talking about. Either having, allowing God to have our way. And I preached on this three weeks ago about Clippers. I talked about the NBA team God loves is the Clippers. No matter who you are, we have to be pruned. We have to be clipped. There's things that have to be taken out of our life. I don't care how mature you are. All of us, that's a process. That's part of the process. There's not no one that's here this morning that knows the Lord that's going to get away from God not pruning them and God not educating them and God not maturing them. We will go through this process. And like I said in the beginning, when it happens, and I don't know where you might put your trust. It could be areas of you put your trust. If that area was taken away, how would you respond? You might be someone that loves your body. A lot of people love their body. And all of a sudden you have a sickness or a disease. You can't do what you used to do. Or you better yet, you can't look the way you used to look. How would you respond? I had a friend that was a bodybuilder. Like 234 pounds, cut, chiseled. I mean, he's a jokester too. He said, women look at them, rip their necks out. Come on. I think he's got a little ego too, right? I mean, he had the body. He had the body. He had the looks. And he was a business owner. He said, I walk in places with women. Bam. And I tell him, take a picture, honey, last longer. And he got a disease. He got, I think, mercury poisoning. His body shriveled away. I saw him before and I saw him after. He's all literally shriveled up. He's trying to get, they found out what it was. You know, he put the weight back on slowly. He said, I don't look nothing. I said, what's the hardest thing? He said, right now, this is the new me. It's hard to accept me. So I'm embarrassed to walk outside. Because the first thing people say, is that you? And then they say, what happened to you? He said, I have to tell the story over and over again. And look at me. I don't know what your identity is. There you go, Elijah. Go down there. We're going to do some cutting. And we want to be any place but that place. So we have a choice. I'm going to quickly, man, time's up. Can I keep preaching for a few more minutes? We have a choice, either, <clears throat> either we can rebel or we can submit, right? We have a choice in this. We all have our will. We can say, okay, I'm going to Cherith, okay, or we say, I'm not going to Cherith, or you go to Cherith and you have a, such a bad attitude, God says, you know, I'm going to leave you there an extra week. Or, I'm, you know what, I'm going to leave you in Cherith like four years, bro. Elijah would be at Cherith, some commentators believe, for like three and a half years. I'm going to skip point two, which is B, Tim. Let's go to the last point. <clears throat> Not the last point. I'll just go to. No, we can't go to that one. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go to B. Just give me five more minutes. What undue hardships arise because of our unyielding to God? 
Isaiah says, what sorrow await those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, what you're doing, it's wrong? Does the pot exclaim how clumsy you can be? Another version says, does the clay ask the potter what is, he, what is he doing? Does he complain to the potter that the maker has no skill? I would say absolutely. We do it all day long. Isaiah and Jeremiah says, you know what? I'm the potter and you're the clay. You think about that analogy. I'm the potter you're the clay. There is a huge difference. And so we have to choose. We're going to be pliable in the hand of God. Allow God to mold us or not. You, you choose. But I am the potter. And yes, you do complain about how and what I'm making in your life, what I'm doing in your life. Yes, you do. But there's a big difference, and we have to make a choice about whether or not you and I are going to yield to the potter's hand. So let me go to point three. I'm going to end here. I left out point two. It's okay. Point three, when we find ourselves at Cherith, and you will, you must believe that God is doing a good work. You know what that is? That's faith. Faith says, you know what? I have to believe God's doing a good work in me right now. The Bible says, for it is not your strength, but it is God who is efficiently, effectively at work in you, both to will and to work that is strengthening and energizing and creating you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. Another version says it like this. It is God who produces in you the desire and the actions that please him. For it is God who's working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. People ask me, people have asked me a lot more than once, especially some of the pastor friends of mine, that whether it's your place, my place, wherever we're at, have you learned anything? And I will admit it's a difficult place at times, it's a hard place at times, but I've learned just a few things. There's a lot more I'm, I'm, I know I could speak about. I'll do a life lab on one day on, on resilience. But I've learned a couple of things. <clears throat> one is that every trial you and I go through, every test that we go through is a test of our own heart to ourselves. And it's a testimony to other people, either for good or for bad. That's what I've learned. Pretty simple, I know. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 24, verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Another version says, if you do nothing in the difficult moment, your strength is limited. And so you have an opportunity to show others how to go through whatever you're going through at that moment. It's an opportunity to show someone else when, when people go through this or something like that, you have an opportunity to show other people how you should respond. You know, I say this for a couple of reasons. Last, last three weeks, I have had the runs. Some of you go, Pastor, you shouldn't say that. You know what runs are? Okay, I'll make it a nice version. 
You say, why would you say something so personal? Let me say this and get back. You know, some of you, some aren't here no more. Some have grown up. Some have moved away. Some, some have are become adults now. There's there, people, things people tell a pastor. You think that was me telling you that was something? I'll be back there and people walk in. Some of the younger girls, they're older now. I'm not saying who. They'd walk in and I'll say, how you doing? they say, pastor, it's that time of month. And I go, what? Hurts. <sighs> you tell me right before I preach, I got to preach? And you could tell me that? Sometimes you tell me, say, you know, pastor, and I said, <sighs> things people tell the pastor. But I realize something, whether I'm in pain, I don't care how much pain. I, in fact, I might go to emergency right now after I'm done preaching, urgent care. Okay, I'll do what I got to do. But whether I'm in pain, this may sound like nothing to you, but it's a lot to me. I realize if I'm here, I win. If I'm not here, the enemy wins. And let me tell you some brain science that backs up what I just said. When you hit a hard time, how you respond as an example, let's, let's say every time I was in pain, I just chose not to come up. You probably wouldn't see me very often in church. You probably wouldn't. Pastor Warren's a totally different disease. He has, you know, he's crippled and totally different. He's been out of his church at times six months in a row. If I, if I was here for six months, you folks would disown me. You'd go in and grab me out of my house. But coming, I've learned... I win. Even if I have to sit back there and I'm not preaching, I win. God, I give God the opportunity to do something. By doing that, I'm training my brain. Listen to this. This is science, by the way. You can look this up. I'm training my brain. At this difficult moment, this is how I'll respond. Every time I respond that way, my brain begins to realize that's how we respond in this moment. Your brain naturally wants to, uh, what they call... Um, uh, Secondary, it's not the word secondary, I can't think of the word. But naturally, you want to default to the easy. Your brain naturally wants to default to the easiest route. The easiest route is stay home. Don't come, don't face anyone. That's the easier. Your brain says, you need to take care of yourself, you need to preserve yourself. You don't need more stress, that'll cause more stress. So your brain goes through this whole thing. That's what you fight. You fight literally yourself and your brain. But every time you say, I'm going to come, and you come, your brain says, okay, that's how we're supposed to be dealing with this? But every single time you do it, you have to make a cho you have to cho you have to choose to do that because you're fighting yourself. Yourself says stay home, take it easy, don't fight, don't do anything. That's what you need to do for yourself. But I realize this if I come, I win in my life with God. I may not be able to do much, but I could sit. And God can speak to me, others can say hi to me, whatever it might be. But I realize when I stay home, and I'm not saying, just hear me out. When I stay home, the enemy wins. And every time I give in to that, it becomes easier to give in to it the second time. That's why people develop a habit. Once, it's easy to do it again. And again, and then it becomes something literally ingrained in their brain. This is how we respond at this moment. And so, you say, I'll go to Cherith. 
And we don't tell God how long we're going to be at Cherith. And we just go. I want you to bow your heads this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Arise and go to Cherith. Some of you have been have prayed and prayed and you know what happened to you? It's gotten more difficult and you've got no's. There's others here this morning God's been trying to help you but you're not adaptable. You're not flexible. You're not open to Him. You're open to Him certain ways, certain times, certain circumstances but very limited. And God wants to push you to that place. And we know that place is difficult. We know it's hurt. it hurts, it's painful, and it's going to cut away, and it does cut away. Yes, we want to be any place but that place, but that place is the best place for us because the Bible says that's where he was fed. That's another sermon. There is a there for everyone. You're here this morning. I don't know what you're facing right now as a believer. You're watching. I don't know what you're facing. But God's been trying to help you, your life, those that are watching. God has been trying to help. But maybe, just maybe, he's offered a solution that you thought, that's no solution. I don't see the handiwork of God in that. I don't see how that could even work. That makes no sense, Pastor. God, you don't make any sense. And you're watching me or you're hearing me this morning say, God, you've been talking to me about many things. Just raise your hand quickly. Just all over this place. I see all these hands. Yes, 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 yes. I see all these hands. Many, many, many hands raised. Yes, yes, yes. God says to the clay, to the clay, says, does the clay tell me you're the potter? What am I doing? Why are you so clumsy? Yes, we do. And we're just the clay. Some of you, God's been trying so hard to get you to submit to his hand. You want to do what you've already made plans to do certain things. You may, whatever, I don't know how those plans get business. I don't know what it is, but there's things, and you, you know what, and God said, you know what, I, I need you to be pliable in my hands. I want to help your family, but it starts with you, sir. It starts with you, Father. It starts with you, Mom. I want to invade that family. It starts with you in the hand of the potter. Maybe you're here this morning, you're listening to me, or maybe you're watching, and you've never given your life to Jesus. And you want to give your life to Jesus this morning. He loves you more than you'd ever, ever imagine that he would send his son to die for you. I can't even begin to comprehend that kind of love. But he loves you and he died for you and he rose again on the third day. You're in this place or you're watching, you want to give your life to Jesus. Just lift up your hand and say, here's my hand. I want to pray this morning, Pastor. Would there be one in this place? Or maybe you're a backslider, you're coming back to God. You say, here's my hand. I'm coming back. 
I see that hand, brother, and anybody else. Lift it up and just put it right back down. You say this prayer with me. If you're watching, you say, Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my life, Jesus. I'm sorry for my sins. Come into my life. I surrender. I surrender to you. I'm sorry for my sins. I turn from my sins. Come into my life. Help me live for you. I want to live for you, Jesus. I've lived for myself, but now I want to live for you. Take my life. It's yours. Use it for your glory, not my own. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want all of us to stand. These altars are open. We're going to sing a few songs while these come and pray. Again, social distancing at the altar, but come and find a place to pray. Many, many hands raised. Hey folks, I really hope this episode encouraged you to live a more purposeful and intelligent life. If it did bless you, would you share it with somebody who you love as well? Thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time.